Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. If you want to make Out Loud part of your routine five days a week, we release segments on Tuesdays and Thursdays just for M Plus subscribers. To get full access, head to mamamia.com.au forward slash M Plus. That's M P L U S, or follow the link in the episode description. Little bit of a different start to Mamma Mia Out Loud today, Out Louders. We'd recorded the show earlier today before Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins made their National Press Club address. Given what was said there, given the power of it, we felt there is no way we can't talk to the Out Louders about that today. So we've jumped back in the studio to put it at the front of your show. Brittany Higgins, Grace Tame, spoke in Canberra. Here is a little bit of what Grace Tame said to a room full of the nation's most powerful. On the 17th of August last year, Not five months after being named Australian of the Year, I received a threatening phone call from a senior member of a government-funded organisation asking for my word that I wouldn't say anything damning about the Prime Minister on the evening of the next Australian of the Year Awards. You're an influential person. He'll have a fear, they said. A fear? What kind of fear, I asked myself. A fear for our nation's most vulnerable? A fear for the future of our planet? And then I heard the words, you know, with an election coming soon. And it crystallised. A fear. A fear for himself and no one else. A fear that he might lose his position or more to the point, his power. Sound familiar to anyone? Well, it does to me. I remember standing in the shadow of a trusted authority figure being threatened in just the same veiled way. I remember him saying, I'll lose my job if anyone hears about this, and you wouldn't want that, would you? No. You see me here standing tall, if a little bit broken. Standing on the shoulders of giants, side by side with Brittany, side by side with all of you, together, making change, making history, but above all else, making noise. Now, first of all, obviously, Grace Tame has every right to feel and say whatever she wants and I can really understand why the idea of being told to be quiet and toe the line was massively triggering for her. Who do you think it was? The end. It could be anyone. Mm. Whoever it was, it doesn't actually matter because I think that's the pressure that she was under for a year. Yeah, right. You know, from journalists who said that she was being bratty and ungrateful and columnists who said that she was politicising and polarising people in that role. She was between a rock and a hard place because 
it's not a political position. You're meant to be, you know, in quote marks, grateful for it. But she disagreed with the way that Scott Morrison and this government has handled this whole situation this year. Sometimes she agreed, disagreed vehemently and she didn't say it during the time that she was Australian of the Year. I think it's very significant that she's only saying this now. And she says, I literally have nothing to lose. Mm. I was so moved by this. And this isn't the point, but she is one of the best speakers. Yeah, I agree. Her ability to speak like that in front of a room full of people with so much passion and so much energy and she's so eloquent and what an incredible point to make because it's about the fact that men like that and institutions like that almost gaslight you into thinking you have the power when you don't. And that's what she's saying is that these powerful men who have shut her up her whole life. Don't make the men feel uncomfortable. Exactly. And she's just had enough of it. And I loved the fury. I loved what she said about let's just make some noise. And Brittany Higgins I thought was also outstanding what she said about how she didn't want Scott Morrison to feel, and she hasn't said this as explicitly, I I thought it was really brave of her to come out and say, I didn't need Scott Morrison's wife to explain to him why what happened to me was bad. I wasn't calling on Scott Morrison as a father or a friend. I was calling on him as the Prime Minister of Australia and he couldn't in those two shoes that he was wearing understand why this was such a big deal. This is the end of Scott Morrison. This has got to be the end of him. so moved also, Jesse, when I was watching that and and I had to watch my own reaction, right, because I was watching that for the first time. Mia was in the room and I pulled out the headphones of my computer and I said, you've got to listen to this. Part of me was going, you can't say that. You can't say that. Like when Grace Tame went, you know, like it reminds me of that time that that like, you're like, oh, but but the thing is, is thank God. God, she is saying that. Like, I understand in every bit of my bones why it is so important. There will be people who feel so uncomfortable about what she said today and the way she said it and the comparison that she made there will make a lot of people uncomfortable, but thank God. Like, I feel so optimistic that those two women are on the front of every news site today, every newspaper, every podcast that we're actually listening to young women like we have never done that before and the reason women get so emotional when they're talking about this and we have seen some of the most composed and experienced women in public life get emotional about this we've seen Annabelle Crabb get emotional about it on Insiders you know we saw a, a brilliant and eloquent Guardian journalist getting really emotional about it on the project the other week we get emotional about it because we understand what Grace Tame mm. is saying there when she says and you just used the words too Jesse, men like that Right, And they're not saying those men are paedophiles or that those men are rapists, but we have been silenced for so long. All of our experiences just pushed down and gone like, yeah, yeah, you know, things are getting better for you. You're getting a bit more representation. But he's got too much to lose. Yes, and I just, so it was a jaw-dropping moment. And last week (laughs) I feel like we're getting a lot of jaw-dropping moments. But thank God that those two women are around. And I don't want to sound like Scott Morrison, but I'm like my daughter is growing up in a world Mm. where those women are on the front of the paper making everybody feel uncomfortable and thank God for that. And you know what's so telling? It's about Grace and Brittany but it's also about how defensive women are of Grace and Brittany and we need to ask why they're so defensive Mm. and it's because they are saying things that we 
have, have not had we feel yeah. it we feel it and we know that it's true and the fact that so many female journalists and you know media commentators have come out and just even Carrie Bickmore when she was having the argument with PVO on the project like mm. there is a reason why women are going into bat for that woman and it's not just because she's a woman it's because of what's coming out of her mouth and how true we know it is I think it's also really interesting you were just saying Jesse is this the end of Scott Morrison like it's important to point out that it's not, I mean, obviously there's some specifics here about who was in charge when some of this stuff was happening. But I think a lot of people wouldn't care. I, yes, but I also think that it's the best argument ever for why we need some real obvious change in the faces of mm-hmm. power, right? Yep. Because you put another guy in there, you know, slightly different guy, slightly different coloured suit, slightly different hair, same generation, like, I think that we are seeing... Uh, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's fair to tarnish every politician with the same brush of just one person. No, I, I don't, don't mean to do that, but what about, I mean, it means why optics matter yeah. so much, right? I want to see some serious yeah. change in the people that's who true. are making these decisions well, and yeah. are talking to us about it and are standing up and talking at the mics. They need to be different. When mm. this election campaign happens, all the leaders of the three main political parties, the Nationals, the Liberals and Labor, are all men of the same age, the same generation. Wearing the same suit. Wearing the same suit. And, that's, again, that's not fair to every guy of that age and generation to say that they all have the same beliefs. And Anthony Albanese would say that his views are very different to Scott Morrison are very different to Barnaby Joyce. And that's true. But I think what you say about the fact that there is no Julie Bishop anymore – how appalling that I don't even know who the Minister for Women is. You know, we're the only women's media company in Australia. They've never made themselves known to us. They've never made themselves available to our audience. It's so, Maurice Payne. She was sitting in the front oh, row. Oh, she was there. Yep. Okay, Maurice Payne, who's also, I think, the Minister for Defence. She has several other jobs. Okay. And Anthony Albanese was there too and Scott Morrison wasn't there, but I think it should be said that the Prime Minister would never attend a national press mm. club lunch unless – he or she was the speaker. So I don't think it was an actual snub. But also, where do you go from here? Like, where do you go from here? I agree with Holly. I think that the optics, when Grace Tame is speaking, when Brittany Higgins is speaking, and you've got these women who critics will say will almost criticise their power, but then you go, okay, you want to go and have a look in our national cabinet and you want to go look at the demographic of people sitting there I mean, I just looked at Grace Tame and went, yeah, you need to be a politician. Well, she's also she's just, just, it's become such a really overused word, but the bravery of doing that, yeah. my God. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought if I was a political party right now watching that, looking at the commentary that will happen over the next few days, I would go, we need a female leader. Welcome to Mamma Mia Out Loud, what women are talking about. I'm Holly Wainwright. I'm Mia Friedman. And I'm Jessie Stevens. And on the show today, 2022 has been declared the year of the new age bimbo. I'm going to tell you about how women are reclaiming bimboism. And should the school day be longer? Everybody's talking about it. Jessie, what's first? There are three words that everyone's probably hearing a lot about lately, and they're not new words. They've been discussed for years, but something's going to happen this week, and that's why I think we really need to break it down. And that's Religious Discrimination Bill. The government introduced this bill in November last year in attempt to secure extra protections from state 
based discrimination laws. What does that actually mean? I shall explain. This bill has been in the works pretty much since the wake of the same-sex marriage debate in 2017, and then it was taken up by the coalition to the last election with a first draft released in 2019 of what this bill might actually look like. The bill basically prohibits discrimination in certain areas of public life on the ground of religious belief or activity. So under the bill, a religious person can say or they can teach or they can hire someone based on their religious views and not be reprimanded. So what does that actually look like in practice? We know that the Catholic Church, for example, I went to a Catholic school, so I have a bit of knowledge of this, does not broadly condone homosexuality or divorce. This would, the early editions, would protect, say, Catholic schools when they're teaching, you know, religion, whatever it is, saying things such as to live with a same-sex partner is to live in sin, it's an abomination, basically to say some really awful things about who people fundamentally are. Does it also affect the school's ability to employ or sack teachers and accept or expel students? Yes, and this is what will be debated is how it will actually work in practice. But essentially, yes, because if you come in and you are divorced and you're applying for a job at a religious school, that is against the religious doctrine or ethics. And, of course, that's a big umbrella and there are more orthodox schools and there are more liberal schools. But so can divorced people teach at Catholic schools? Can gay people teach at Catholic they schools? They can currently? now, yes. but there is also, and I think this is something we probably need to just put on the table, There is a little bit in practice, a bit of don't ask, don't tell, right? So to think that Catholic schools and, of course, the City Point Brisbane school that was discussed last week is one example, that condemn homosexuality or trans people or divorce or people who have AIDS in the classroom who have members of staff who are in same-sex relationships. Those members of staff generally, you're allowed to be there but don't show us oh that you're gay. God. Like that's sort of the unwritten rule. Which as ha- it that doesn't have anything to do with this bill, but it's just in general. Yes. I'm just saying, oh my God. Like exactly. imagine working somewhere where you can't be who you are, which is yeah. how obviously the LGBTQIA community have been for a very long time. Exactly. Hiding themselves. And now we need a law to ensure that that can continue. <sighs> so part of the proposed bill is the statements of belief provision. And that provision means that in a legal case, Someone who is being sued for discrimination can argue that what they said was a statement of belief and therefore be immune to all federal and state anti-discrimination laws. So all they have to do is prove that those comments or actions were in line with the actual doctrines or teachings of their faith and the comments cannot be made maliciously or attempt to threaten or vilify, but, you know, define that. And it would protect people who bully both majority or minority groups. And the thinking behind this, I do want to present the other side, right? Because a lot of people are going, why do we even need this? Mm. The people who say we need this say that basically the liberal view of religion is winning. So, Liberal, small L liberal? Small L liberal. By that, I mean that if you are orthodox in your religious belief and it is a human right to practice and even preach your religious belief, then as it stands, you could read a passage from the Bible that says homosexuality is a sin and that is your doctrine and you could be threatened with discrimination because of what you just said. So the argument for this bill is we need to protect people. Because we already have anti-discrimination laws, right? Mm. So 
this is kind of a loophole for religion to anti-discrimination laws. So there's a concern that people are being gagged from actually expressing their religious beliefs. Israel Folau's name has come up. Of course, he wasn't actually, you know, brought into a courtroom, I don't believe. That was more about Mm -hmm. sponsors. But that's an example of the kind of beliefs that people think you should be allowed to espouse. The bill also includes employment preferencing, so that means protecting the fundamental right for religious schools to hire religious staff to maintain their religious ethos in accordance with a publicly available policy. This isn't only about gender and sexuality. That might mean being able to not hire someone who's a different religion. Yes. So you're Jewish. Yeah. You're not in accordance with my Catholic school's religious teachings. Yeah. So you can say we're not hiring you because so you're Jewish. Yeah. You don't have to pretend it's because yeah. You don't have to say it's because you're not as clever as the And there's yeah. a question. I was listening to a woman talk about it and she was saying the Uniting Church has a different principle, which is unless you're explicitly teaching religion, you can be a gardener and do whatever you want on the weekend. But there are other schools who are saying, no, that gardener has to be at church on Sunday. We're not going to employ oh. him or her unless they're, and they have the right to call your yeah. parish and, and go, how often do they, yeah. yeah. Independent schools so can make their own rules about that I want to ask Holly about this because one of my children goes to, a, you call them faith-based schools, right? Mm-hmm. An Anglican school, I believe it is. I should know this. I think it is Anglican. Hull had to make a decision when she was choosing schools about whether to choose a faith-based school or a non-faith-based school in her area. And I sent my child to this school despite the religious side, Mm. you know, but also I made sure that it was a very inclusive. Progressive. Progressive. There are, you know, queer people among the staff. There are queer kids very openly in the school and they're incredibly accepting and very outspoken actually, the principal, about tolerance and inclusion. Mm. But, Hole, you have a different view The reason that this keeps coming back to schools is because independent schools, whether they're religious or not, can make their own rules to a point, right? So you obviously looked at the values of the school that you want to send your kids to and you go, those align with my values, I'm sending my kids to that school. And even though I'm not that religion, I'm still down with the way that religion manifests in the school. For me, I'm not a religious person. I look at a religious schools, I go and look at the, you know, this is our doctrine, And it's not my doctrine. So I'm not going to send my kids there. Mm. And I have been known to say that I do sometimes get irritated when parents ignore these large flashing warning signs (laughs) about doctrine when they send their kids there. Because we have to talk about what happened this week, right, which is that the coalition are in a mess about this now because the Prime Minister has promised a certain section of the coalition MPs who are worried, as as Jesse said, that religion is being gagged, has promised them this is going to pass, said it's going to pass. But there are also quite a lot of coalition MPs who are really worried about it because they think that it is basically opening the door to discrimination. And we saw, obviously, the most blatant example of this in the City Point conversation mm. last week where they famously sent out a contract that said every child here has to agree that they will not change their gender, that they will not indulge in any sexual perversion in Mm. inverted commas and list out what it was. So a lot of coalition MPs, including a very, in my opinion, brave woman called Bridget Arthur, is saying, I know you're watering this bill down now, which is what after the City Point shenanigans last week, it has been watered down to a point. 
but she's saying I can't in all conscience vote on this because the coalition has allowed a clause in there saying that no child will be expelled or excluded on the basis of their sexuality. But very tellingly, and this is what you're hearing a lot of noise about today, not on the basis of gender. So what is being read and assumed by this is that concession has been made Mm. by the coalition to say, okay, we're not going to say that it's okay for you to say you can't come to this school, Betty, because you're gay. But we're not going as far as to say you can't exclude Betty because Betty changes gender. And what if... Betty is gender non-binary. What if Betty is they? Because that's considered trans as well. Mm. Yeah. They're amending the bill to make it more palatable in part, Mm. but they're not protecting trans kids or non-binary kids in it. So that's what a lot of people are very upset about. Now, in a political sense, it's a shit fight because he can't please any of the people. And also, it's not only a coalition issue. There are Labour would also be in a real mess debating this. And they have not publicly said whether or not they will support this bill because they're like, we need to see the final version. Mm. They had the- an emergency meeting yeah. this morning. So they're yeah. stalling. And there are yeah. lots of Labour MPs who have said, no way, we are not supporting this bill. And I think it's really interesting because Morrison and some Labour MPs have said, look, the problem is, is this is sucking up all this airtime mm. now. It's giving me yet another problem mm. from Morrison's perspective that's showing disunity in the party and we just want to move on and talk about something else. And I saw a Labour MP saying the same thing. You know, the electorate doesn't want us to be talking about this. They want to talk about other things. But parents and lots of people do want to be talking about this because they want to know, even if they've chosen, you know, the Erica Betzes of the world are saying, Parents, do your due diligence, which is what I was just arguing. Don't send your kids to a school that Mm. has alternate beliefs. But most parents want to know that they're sending their kids to a school where if they start grappling with their gender during their time at that school or they start wanting to declare their sexuality in a different way, that they're not going to a school that's going to exacerbate that and make it worse for an already really marginalised group. They also want to know that it's not going to be okay for their kid to go to the doctor with an STD and the doctor to be able to say to them, you've got an STD because you're being punished by God. That is the kind of stuff that is being discussed here. And I think that most of the electorate feels that that's pretty reasonable. Here's the problem. There's a guy named Greg Bondar who's a family voice advocate, and he said that sending a gay student to a school like City Point, the school brought up last week, is like buying a house in a flight path and complaining about the noise. The problem with that Mm -hmm. is that we are assuming that parents and kids are the same person and that they share exactly, so exactly the same political beliefs. The parents are making the decisions. The parents That's so no true, Jesse. chooses what school they go to. So you're going to have, you might have conservative or quite religious parents and you get sent to whatever school you get sent to or the local one, the closest one, the most convenient, whatever it is, you get sent there and then you might discover at 14, 15, 16 exactly. that you like the same sex or that you're bisexual or whatever and then you're sitting in a classroom whether or not you can get expelled is one thing but to be told in the middle of a school day that who you are Mm. is a sin I'd never thought about that Mm. yeah about that idea of well you know read what's on the label if you don't like it don't send your kid there and I also had a conversation just on the weekend with someone who sent their child to a faith-based school and she goes oh look I'm not that religion or I'm not Mm. very religious and I said oh so you know what's it like? And she goes, well, they do pray three times a day, but, you know, I've just said, ask me any questions when you get home and all of that kind of stuff. And I thought, well, so often the parents will say, 
just don't worry about that stuff. Mm. And it's easy for the parents to say because they're not actually at the school hearing it and it's also not about them. Exactly. Mm. The big question is that going to improve how we speak to each other? Is it going to improve? I hate the word tolerance because this, I don't think that LGBTQI kids ought to be tolerated at no. school. It's like about the basic human right to be accepted and, and know yeah. who you are. And we know that the rates of mental illness and suicide, I mean, any kid who went through a school like this and felt that they were told they were living in sin can tell you the consequences. And this is giving licence to schools or institutions to say whatever they want without consequence. So I think this is a really important moment. There's a great point that a woman who's been criticising this bill said that they're presenting it as though this was created as a shield, but in fact it's a sword. And I think Mm. that's very true. People think it's either a shield or a sword. Hi, this is just a comment for the girls at Mania Out Loud. Hi, Mamma Mia Out Loud. Hi, my name's Annie. I'm listening from Torquay. Love your work. I really enjoy listening to you. You're great for my commute every day. Thank you. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. What do you think of when you hear the word bimbo? Probably not good things, right? Depends on your generation, perhaps. But I think of like an old school troll, you know, like an old school sexist man from like the 80s or the 90s Mm. who would use that as a sexist, misogynist insult towards a woman. You're such a bimbo. Yeah. 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 Don't be such a bimbo or a bimbo joke, you know. It's always meant to be an attractive but unintelligent or frivolous young woman. That is what the kind of definition of what a bimbo is, right? So people dismiss women as bimbos or they might talk about that character as a bimbo, etc. It's being redefined, of course, by the young people and, of course, on the TikTok. There's a viral definition of what a new age bimbo is from a TikToker called Chrissy Chalpeca, who has more than 4 million followers. This is what she says a new age bimbo is. Who is the Gen Z bimbo? A bimbo isn't dumb. I mean, she kind of is, but she isn't that dumb. She's actually a radical leftist who's pro-sex work, pro-Black Lives Matter, pro-LGBTQ, pro-choice, and will always be there for her girls' gays and nays. If you're homophobic, I'll castrate you. Listen, this is an inclusive organization Bimbos, bimbos, himbos. I don't do this for the misogynistic male gaze. I do it for my gaze. And damn, my tits look good. It's about emotional intelligence at the end of the day. Can I ask what she looks like? So this is a non-visual medium. Yeah. So what the new age bimbos look like is exactly what you would imagine the new age bimbo looks like. So Chrissy looks like she has lots of very flammable hair extensions, tiny little, um, you know, polyester crop tops, mini skirts, colourful stripes in her hair, 
It's a total ownership quite of Barbie. Hyper feminine. Exactly. Okay. So it's being reclaimed by her, but also by many other people. And this has been going on for two years. So you know how it takes a while. Oh. Like bimbo TikTok has been a thing for I a must while. I must have missed a exactly. <laughs> Me too. It's finally trickled bimbo down TikTok, yeah. to the mainstream, mm-hmm. which is why we're talking about it to the old people. Because Welcome. everybody's saying that... 2022 has very high bimbo energy. A few more points so that you really get what we're talking about. It's supposedly a movement that's about being allowed to embrace what might have been termed hyper-feminine style and tropes, but without negativity around that. So very supportive of your decisions around plastic surgery, body modification, whatever you want to look like. The idea is also to redefine what a smart woman is because What a lot you'll see a lot on bimbo TikTok is we are too enslaved to the idea of intelligence being what men have always decided is intelligence, academia, and that's not what intelligence is. So new bimbos reject traditional intelligence. They're inclusive, generally lefty and progressive. There are himbos, there are theybos, there are gobos, which are goth himbos. (laughs) A classic bimbo story and cause is Free Britney. (laughs) Right. Classic bimbo cause that you would get behind. The emancipation of Britney Spears is a very bimbo moment. They celebrate kindness over all things. So it's about also dismantling that idea that like beautiful girls are mean. Beautiful girls are not mean. You can sit with us. Everyone can sit with us. And you'll love this because we've gone through a tough couple of years. The 2022 bimbo in general, their aim is to have less thoughts and more vibes. (laughs) I think we all need less thoughts and more vibes. I actually love that. Like I was sort of curling my lip a little bit inadvertently when you were talking going, "Uh, what is this? But like less thoughts and more vibes is a a theme I can really get on board with. We've gone two years of (laughs) epidemiologists, a word I never said before, and statistics and competing scientific research. I think we are burnt out intellectually and now it's time for vibes. The word rat has become a verb. Exactly. Exactly. There was a great example which I just thought was spot on, which is you know how even the things that we view socially as smart are very male-dominated, right? Mm -hmm. So I might be like... The news. Yeah. (laughs) Look, not quite. I was thinking I'm surrounded by men sometimes and they start talking about the stock market. That's a classic white man smart topic of conversation. And what the bimbo says when everyone starts talking about the economy and stocks and Bitcoin or whatever Mm. it is, they say, why don't they just print more money and walk away? And I'm like, I am there for that. And really, it's quite a clever thing to say because it's just like, blow the whole thing up. You're trying to make me feel dumb because I don't fully understand this elaborate game that white men play, essentially. And so I think it's just turning it all on its head. And we went through the girl boss era of Elizabeth Holmes, the Theranos woman who had the fake blood. Cheryl Sandberg. Yes. And those women, or the CEO, what those women were, they emulated men. And they thought that in order to garner any power, they had to dismiss all feminine traits and just imitate men, which only further enforced the whole system that they were meant to disrupt. But why are they my two choices? Like, you know, Alicia Silverstone from Clueless or Reese Witherspoon's character from Legally Blonde and Elizabeth Holmes or Cheryl I think it's Sandberg. a pendulum. So yeah. I think it's just like, yeah. okay, and even you could hear in that woman's voice, men 
deride women who speak like that with that cadence, with that high-pitched voice, with that sing-songy tone. Yes, we do, but I think that that's also a little bit of internalised misogyny and it's going... I can talk like this and still be take me seriously. Yeah, still but, ha- still be a millionaire. But on she's TikTok. not. Hang on. I mean, I haven't delved deep into bimbo TikTok, but she wasn't saying take me seriously, and she wasn't saying I'm smart. She even says I'm not really smart, <laughs> but I'm not discriminatory. I care about things and about people. Like I care about my girls, my gays, and my theys. Mm. But that's not saying. I'm smarter than you think. No, and I think, in fact, on my brief but deep dive into bimbo <laughs> TikTok this morning, there's a lot of quite overt calling out the elitist view of, of intelligence and, like, let's not dismiss a whole lot of women who don't tick those boxes who still have a lot to say. But what do and, they have to and say? say? Well, they're into causes, you know, so they're into promoting social mm. equality, whatever, these guys. That's I shouldn't say guys. not intelligence. That's just... Well, no, but I don't think they're talking about intelligence. I think that's oh. the point, is they're and saying, that, yeah. why are we so obsessed with intelligence? And I felt very challenged when I was watching it at first in about 15 different ways because I think that if you grew up in an era where women were always fighting to be seen as smart and equal to men and just as intelligent and all those things, you're very defensive about the idea of being dismissed as anything other than that but if you grew up in an era which these girls did where girls do better in school than boys that there are actually more women enrolled in universities than there are men they don't have to be so defensive about that bullshit they can kind of go we don't have anything to prove if we want to talk about shoes all day we'll talk about shoes all day like Mm -hmm. I had to wrestle with myself to get to that a bit because it makes me defensive because I think if you've always been fighting for a seat at the table you don't understand why you would play into a trope that's been used against you. But if that trope is not there anymore, you can play with it and have fun with it, which is what the bimbos are doing. And it's like reclaiming the word slut, I think. Is there reclaiming the word bimbo Mm. and going inherent within the word bimbo is an element of intellectual elitism and this idea that if you use really big words and you went to university and think about the Twitter elite, for example, who make most people feel alienated, This is women going, no, I'm not going to try so hard to impress you. I'm just going to go with vibes, which I think is kind of exciting. (laughs) But is it a word? Is the word bimbo used to describe either then or now the way a particular woman looks or the fact that she's just not that smart? And I would say it's very gendered. has to be in it. Because there's no male equivalent, is there? Mm. Like, So a lot of the bimbos, when I dove deep on this, a lot of the bimbos are black, trans, Asian. Like, it isn't blonde blue eyes. I mean, some of it is. She is. Yeah, yeah. And and it is is about an aesthetic that's very male gazy, what we would know as male gazy, which is like tits out. Yes, but they're saying stop calling that male gazy. That's Uh, their point. Us old ladies are calling that male gazy. They're like, I'm not doing it for any male gaze. This is not what that's about. There's a great meme that goes around in the bimbo community Mm -hmm. and it says the final level of being smart is just pretending you don't know anything to make your life easier. And I think that really sums it up is that these women are like, I might be smart, I might not be. (laughs) I'm not going to tell you. I'm just going to brush my hair. It's the second week of February and the sound you can hear is the screaming of thousands of women who work outside the home, whose children have just started big school and who've suddenly realised that the maths 
of when your child has to be at school and when your child has to be picked up does not compute with the maths of when you have to be at work. I had this experience 19 years ago when my first child started school and I was working full time and I thought I'd been so excited that he was going to get to school because I was like, okay, then I won't feel so guilty about how many days should he go to daycare and should I be working full time? He'll be there every day until he got there. And then I was like, how does this work? Mm -hmm. Who has a job that lets them arrive? I mean, by the time you drop them at 9 or 9.15 or 9.20 when school starts, you can't start work before 10 or even 11, depending Mm. on how far work is. And then they have to be picked up. You know, some kids when they start school have to be picked up at like two o'clock. So bimbo question, after school care, like before school care. Often you can't get in. And also when your kid's five, not everyone has it. And when your kid's little, sometimes, you know, you want to kind of ease them in. And what you're used to if you've been working outside the home before that is daycare hours are much longer. You can drop off, you know, anywhere from seven or eight, depending on where you go. And they're usually open till like six o'clock. So what do parents do? Well, exactly. What do parents do? And so this is where everyone goes, but hang on, I don't understand This system is rigged. It relies, and it does, it relies on one parent being at home full time and able to drop everything because it's not just the drop off and the pick up and those hours and the school holidays. It's also, can you please come to a parent teacher meeting at 3.15 and we've got a welcoming morning tea at 10.30 and we've got a special concert at one o'clock. I thought, as many women do in that first term, I'm going to have to quit my job just to stay across sending my child to school. And I only had one child. Well, you're going to be happy with what the New South Wales Premier has suggested this week. So Dominic, as we call him, because we all, I don't know why we would do My children, it was Gladys, and now it's Dominic. My children call him Domicron. That might be pejorative. (gasps) Dominic Perrottet, famously the father of six, soon to be seven, made a stand this week about school hours in New South Wales. What you need to do as a government is to trial new things, to look at new ways of doing things, to set up panels like the Treasurer and the Minister for Women have done today. I don't want small little tweaking around the edge policy ideas. I want revolutionary ideas uh, that trailblaze a new approach uh, for our state when it comes to women's issues and also supporting families across New South Wales. I hate this being framed as a women's issue. It is not a women's issue. It is a family issue. It affects anyone in a family and families look like all kinds of things. And if we insist on constantly putting this on women's plates as a problem to solve, we're not making any progress. But anyway, we'll shelve Mm. my little rant about that for a minute. Understandable. Because I think it's really interesting. What we all know actually happens to most parents and by default women, when you ask the question of what the hell do you do, it's the same as that first realisation that parents have when they first go back to work after they have kids and they're like, oh, they get sick all the time, blah, blah, is you just make it work. So it'll be a mishmash, an ugly and confusing mishmash of like grandma picks up on this day and there's after school care on that day and we could get you in on a Tuesday, but only from eight. And then every parent yep. I know of primary school every educated has day. a very complicated Tetris pattern yep. of how they make it work. And, and it's if, a house of cards. Yeah, if one of those things fall over, let, which let's imagine right now, COVID isolation, all of those things, grandma's sick, decides she's had a gut full, whatever it is, after school care has to close everything falls apart. So it is a real question. But what's really interesting is that what you do about it 
is a very conflicted point because there are some suggestions that the way to fix this is just to make school hours longer, right? So make them from eight till five, for example. And then that way, that will all be sorted. But as teachers very rightly point out, they are not a childminding service. The primary reason for school is not to let parents be free to go to work. The primary reason for school is to educate children. The kids can play. They can play in the playground. Exactly. Free time. So what a lot of very progressive countries and some independent schools here do is, yes, they open school hours, but it's a different system. So you still have shorter lesson time. For example, St. Luke's Catholic College, which is in Sydney, opens at 6.30 a.m. and closes almost 12 hours later, but classes finish at 2.40. And then primary school age kids can either stay and have like master classes run by teachers and after school care workers or be picked up. On Fridays, everyone can finish at 12. So basically you move it around. There's a, oh, a that school out. amazing. Yeah, there's another school in Maryland that has shifted its hours from 8 till 1. Every day, that's it, because they surveyed their families and found that that worked for them. So you can move it around, but there's a lot of disagreement about what's best. As the only one at this table who has never had to grapple with any of these issues, I'd like to present some unpopular opinions about what I really think. Bring it. The first is that are we thinking of the children and whether those long hours are best for the children? I know that they're best for the parents who are at work. But there's been a lot of research, Mia and I talking about our boyfriend, Johan Hari, who was on No Filter this week, and he talks about focus and the incredible expectations that are placed on children in, you know, a school environment. Is it the best thing for kids to be, say, out of the house in that environment from 8am till 6pm? I don't know. I'm just putting that on the table. The other thing is, as you say, teachers, it is not their job to mind children. We've they just solved these problems, Jesse. <laughs> You're being pedantic. We solved them five minutes ago. Me you not no. needs to be on this panel. No. If you look at the hours primary school teachers are already putting in and then you want to chuck more supervising hours in there. No, no. Find someone else. Find other people. You don't need as many people to supervise kids in the playground as you do in classes actively There's teaching. suggestions, for example, because the other, the other missing piece of this is after-school activities, right? Working parents are disadvantaged there too because you can't pick Deirdre up at three and take her to dancing if you don't finish work till six. So some people are saying make all these after-school activities in school, part of school, so if you want to do that, you do that. They're not asking teachers mm. to teach till five. My other problem, let's say it is early, like I've heard six, seven, whatever, mm-hmm. There are kids in primary school who, regardless of what hours you change it to, get the bus. Yeah. Like we're Very talking about point. if you're living not that close, you're getting on the bus Especially and the dark. School doesn't start at 6.30, Jesse. Again, you have not been paying attention. Have you been on your phone? <laughs> no, I have not. But they're not talking about school starting at 6.30 from no, but, what I understand, right? at school. As in- no, no. It just means that you're able to drop your child. Because say you have a shift that starts at 8 o'clock. And you have to get the train to that shift and, you know, you have to get it 45 minutes. So you've got to drop your child first and then you've got to get there. So from what I understand, just like daycare, you can drop your child there, they're supervised, and then school starts at a normal time. And what it means is that you're not disadvantaging lower paid workers that don't have that flexibility, Mm. that probably can't work from home, that have to be at a factory or, you know, on a shop floor or wherever it is. Yeah. I would think that the 
answer, and I've seen this proposed, is more affordable, more available after school care and before school care. That would seem... On site? Yes. Yes. Because that's just what we're talking about really, isn't it? Well, Well, not when they say we're going to change school hours. I think the other thing that's interesting here that I'm throwing into your side, Jessie, is that we do also need to look at employers because... Flexibility has is the word, right? 2022 workplace, flexibility is all anyone's talking about. When we were talking about this yesterday, I spoke to a woman who has retired now, but she worked in banking for 40 years and she raised a family. And she said if she'd have been able to work from home, like people she knows now who work in that, her entire life would have been different, mm. even one mm. or two days a week. And it's interesting that the Premier... His other push on that day when he announced that he wants to look at school hours was also about getting workers back into the office and how important he thinks that is. And actually the insistence on constant office time is very difficult in this as well. So I feel like it's like you've got to get lots of parties to come to the table mm. and also different demographics and different areas have different needs for mm. what this I'm just like. glad that it's being treated as a systemic problem, not the responsibility yeah, of individuals who somehow can't make it work. That's so true. I have a recommendation before we go. I have just finished a book that I have been reading for ages, but because I have no focus as addressed (laughs) in the brilliant No Filter, that is actually my recommendation is that No Filter because I've been listening to you two bang on about Johan Hari Hari. for weeks. And And if you can't read the book because you don't have the focus, just listen (laughs) to the No Filter. But So anyway, Mia interviews him. It's about focus. It's brilliant. But I did manage to finish this book by Brendan Cowell called Plum. Now... Oh, that's on my desk. Oh, so Brendan Cowell is an Australian actor, director, writer. Some people might know him from Love My Way. He had a big part in that. He's famously kind of a bit of a loose unit. Let's call him that. Let's call him a loose unit. He wrote a brilliant book more than 10 years ago now called How It Feels. He grew up in Cronulla, working class family. He speaks about that world with a visceral reality that I love. Anyway, the reason I love this book, Plum, is because it's about looking inside a man's mind, a very specific kind of man. And I often try and write the book I'm writing now and the last one, when you're trying to write men, like it's mm. it's really interesting. And I think we spend a lot of time dismissing what men think and why they act the way they do. This book is about a retired rugby league player who lives in Cronulla called Peter Lum, nicknamed Plum. And he's got a, you know, complicated life and he's a bit of a party animal and all that stuff. And he's a traditional bloke's bloke. And he, at the beginning, it's discovered he has a brain injury from years and years of being smashed in the head on the football field. And he has to completely change everything. I'm not going to give too much else away, but it's beautifully written. It's getting inside that head. Like, it's challenging, you know, what these men, the way they speak, the things they do, all of that stuff. But it is so brilliantly written. It's also very smart. He starts seeing dead poets and they talk to him and he starts writing. Like, it's it's out there, but I loved it. It's called Plum. It's by Brendan Cowell. It's different to a lot of books I would be reading. Oh, I'm going to read that. That is all that we have time for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mom Mirror Out Loud. It was produced by Emma Gillespie and the executive producer is Eliza Ratliff. We'll see you on Friday. Bye. Bye. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the land we have recorded this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. 